Bonnie and Linda. That was spectacular as always. Thank you, Robin, for dealing with my inconsistencies over there. <laughs> I, I'll blame myself for a lot of that. Um, all right. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Isaiah chapter 38. Um, we're going to be going through Isaiah and continuing on with Isaiah. Um, basically, we've been in the midst of these, what we have called descriptive texts. These are texts which are telling us of events that happened in the time of Judah, in the time of Hezekiah's life in particular, um, as he is the king of Judah at the time. And we've seen how Assyria has come along and they've threatened um, Hezekiah and Judah as a nation. But we also saw how God protects Judah. He's protected Jerusalem and Hezekiah. Um, now we're going to be coming into chapter 38. And in 38, we're actually going back in time, so to speak, um, in that Chapter 38 actually precedes what happens in chapters 36 and 37. Why did Isaiah decide to do that? I don't know. Uh, Actually, the thought is it's theological by nature, and I think that that's right. I think that there's a reason why Isaiah has shown Hezekiah in his strength, but we're also going to see in the next two, well now we're going to see him in his strength as well, but we're going to see in the end in chapter 39, Hezekiah and his um, failure. And I think that there is a purpose for this for Isaiah's perspective and the way that he understands God and the way that God has spoken through him. So that is likely the reason why we're experiencing this kind of um, historical discrepancy, but it makes sense in a way. So with that, we're going to start with our maps, and that way we can know what's going on historically as well. Again, Assyria during this time in chapter 38 is still conquering everybody. Um, at this point, we don't know if Assyria, with what's happening with Hezekiah today, is marching on Jerusalem or not. We're going to see how this affects it um, as time goes on. But Assyria is the main enemy. And then the next slide goes ahead and shows us a little bit more about how they did everything. They conquered all of these different areas, all the real known world for the Middle East at the time. And then the final slide shows us um, Israel and Judah in particular, and Ammon, Moab, and Adam. Um, and we're gonna, we see how it all plays out with these different nations. Now, we're going to go ahead to verse 1 of chapter 38. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back 10 steps. So the sun turned back on the dial, the ten steps by which it had declined. All right, so the event now being discussed occurred in those days. This is stated both here and in 2 Kings 20, where this account is also told, albeit with certain differences. It is also agreed that this event takes place prior to the Assyrian invasion of the previous chapters 
though it is debated when exactly, with some arguing that it is close to 712 um, or 710 or close to 703. And the dis discrepancy there is dependent upon when Hezekiah started his reign. That he, when he started it, when he was still with Ahaz as co-regent or after. Um, and most, uh, most scholars are in the middle about it. Um, so either decade took place before the Assyrians or within a year or so is the point. It either happened right before the Assyrians started conquering again uh, Judah or it happened a decade prior to the Assyrians. We don't know. We're not really sure 100%. As such, we learn of an illness, though, which had overcome Hezekiah. We are unsure what the illness was. All we know is that upon looking at him, it was assumed he was going to die. Indeed, this is not it alone, but we also see how Isaiah tells him that the Lord himself is telling Hezekiah to put his house in order because this illness will take his life. Upon hearing this, Hezekiah reacts as anyone would react and turns his face toward the wall to cry. In the course of his weeping, he prays that God would remember him, in particular how Hezekiah had been faithful to God, seeking to do what was honoring to God. Indeed, compared to many of the other kings of Judah, Hezekiah was one who sought to honor God. Indeed, Hezekiah does not argue for his own righteousness in this. He doesn't demand anything from God, but instead, as Oswald says, he simply pours out his feelings of a wounded heart to a heavenly father. Um, Hezekiah is just asking to be remembered in this moment. In response to Hezekiah, the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah. He is told to tell Hezekiah that the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, indeed the God of David, has both heard Hezekiah's prayer and seen his tears. That God has taken the full account of Hezekiah is telling. The whole response of Hezekiah is seen by God in full. As such, God has decreed that he will add 15 years to Hezekiah's life. Now this is important. Most do not realize that Hezekiah's son Manasseh was 12 years old when he came to the throne. In light of this, we find another reason for Hezekiah's sorrow. He would have died without an heir, and with him would be the death of the Davidic dynasty. God, however, by adding 15 years to Hezekiah's life, continues the dynasty, remembering and continuing the covenant he has with David. Not only is this the case, but the king of Assyria will not overrun Jerusalem. We could wonder how tempting it was for Hezekiah to let go of holding fast to God during the Assyrian threat that we just covered. Yet, if all of this occurred prior to that, then Hezekiah has sufficient reason to trust in God. God has said he will defend Jerusalem, and God did just that. The sign is miraculous. The shadow on the dial's steps will go the opposite direction that they should. That it occurs with the dial of Ahaz is interesting since Ahaz was told to request a sign from God and he chose not to. And remember that in Isaiah 6 and 7 um, when Isaiah specifically talked to Ahaz about this. Now it will be the dial of Ahaz which is the sign for his son Hezekiah. Also, there may be a thought of the sun reversing course from dark to light. Just as Hezekiah's increased lifespan is imminent darkness to light. Um, he's at the end. He's about to enter into darkness and death. But he has been gained more light. Now we come to verses 9 through 20. And I apologize, it's a bit small on the screen, so it, I, you'll have to listen. Anyway, a writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. 
I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on a man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calm myself until morning like a lion. He breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he, he thanks you, as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and he will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. So this writing of Hezekiah is missing from the account in Kings. We can expect Isaiah to have access to Hezekiah's private papers, or at least some commentators see this from Second Chronicles 32-32. Regardless, the writing is a psalm of laments, but also one of salvation. The psalm begins with the middle of my days. This can be understood as the prime of life between birth and death. In his illness, he saw the reality of mortality before him and fully expected to meet the other side. The two foundational relationships for humanity are God and other persons. Thus, the lament recognizes that Hezekiah's relationship will be cut off in death. This does not mean Hezekiah is expecting to have his relationships totally cut off from God, but instead the relationship he currently has as being alive will be different after death. Hezekiah then uses metaphors to show his experience. First is his dwelling, which is his life, is being removed. The second is like a weaver who weaves threads. His life choices are the weaves, which show who he is. Yet, it must come to an end. Notice, it is not Hezekiah who cuts the weave from the loom, but God himself. The light today motif may be a representation of the abruptness of morning and evening, or it could be the natural way of the things in the fallen world where death simply follows after life. Verse 13 is hard to understand. It may be, however, that Hezekiah recognized his death and accepted it, But the lion, God, continues to break his bones, and as such, the calmness is taken away. Hezekiah then uses bird-like imagery. He mutters in his pain and sorrow at the coming death. This may also represent prayers in his pain as he continues to look up to God for salvation and help. The exhaustion from such prayers and physical ailments, however, it's high. It takes a toll. Indeed, in looking to God, he also looks at the one who oppresses him. And recognizes the only one who can save him is the one who has brought this illness in the gaping maw of death, which is God. There are two main interpretations concerning verses 15 and 16. The first interpretation is positive. Hezekiah has heard the word of the Lord that he will be saved. As such, he will walk slowly, more circumspectly, 
the rest of his days because of his experience with this potential death and God's salvation from it. Hezekiah recognizes it is by God's word that life comes. As such, Hezekiah seeks the restoration promised. The second interpretation is more negative. It recognizes God as the oppressor and the one who has brought the afflicted, uh, affliction against Hezekiah. In what time is left, Hezekiah will walk bowed or bowed because of the bitterness he has now tasted. He pleads for God to provide health and life. In either interpretation, the result is the same. Despite the experience he has faced, the sorrow of the illness and the confrontation with death, Hezekiah is still saved. The bitterness in the end was for Hezekiah's benefit, as through it he was able to experience God's love and grace, forgiving Hezekiah of sin, as well as healing his body. Verse 18 is just as strange to our ears, that there is none in Sheol who are thankful is an Old Testament motif. So there are are a few possible understandings. The first is that if humans were meant to be alive, both body and soul, then it would be hard to understand how the dead, who would have separated from their bodies, could worship God in their death. Death is judgment for sin, and as such, there is no rejoicing in the act of death. However, it may also be a recognition that only those who die in their sin do not worship God, whereas the righteous do, though this has problems since the Old Testament uh, has this understanding that the righteous dead and the sinful dead are not seen differently in their deaths. Another, which corresponds to the first, is that this is speaking of the bones left in tombs and how they do not worship God, the bones. There's just a dead body. Finally, it could simply be a simple process of uh, progressive theology, not progressive as in liberal, progressive as in learning more as we go. Um, this does not mean progressive, yeah, I just said that, but a sense, I knew everyone was going to say progressive, Sean, wait a minute, um, no, well, hold on, let me, let me finish. Uh, as time goes on, uh, and as time went on, God revealed more of the afterlife to us to have a better understanding than those who came before us. And we kind of see this in the New Testament where we have a deeper understanding of death and life than perhaps even Hezekiah did in his time. Um, and that's, that's just reality. Same, same concept people would say with the Trinity. The concept of Trinity is not found in the New Testament. It was something that was revealed as time went on. Same with when it comes to death and life. In the end, though, we can't really be sure about any of those. Uh, what we can be sure of, however, is that those who are alive do worship God. Since Hezekiah has been saved, he can join the living in praising God. Through this salvation, God has revealed his faithfulness to Hezekiah, the people of Judah, and even those who follow after. As such, Hezekiah will join in worship, and others will join as well. And now we'll come to the final two verses, which are, and again, it's just strange. I don't understand why Isaiah did this, but we'll, we'll talk about it. Anyway, 21 and 22. Now Isaiah had said, let me take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I should go up to the house of the Lord? The sign was already given. <laughs> so that's what the confusion is. Um, anyway. These final verses are also found in the king's account in a more chronological order. Uh, it was after Hezekiah had requested the sign that the shadow moved backwards, and that's when it happened. Um, here we see the sign before Hezekiah asked, 
ultimately two things are seen. The first is that God utilizes natural means to heal his people. God does not need to heal individuals spontaneously. Sometimes he uses doctors and natural remedies in order to bring relief. Hence, uh, what happened with the cake of figs and things like that. Also, that Hezekiah requests a sign is not a manner of testing God, as it is for the faithful to receive confirmation over the word given. In this sense, Hezekiah received such a sign through the shadow cited previously. And I do think that probably the ESV translates it well here. Um, when it says Hezekiah also had said, it implies a, a past tense that he had done this previously and we're just wrapping up the story, so to speak. Um, I think that's reasonable. Anyway, on to the main point. The main point of these verses are to show an event that happened in Hezekiah's life. At one point, he was ill with death being imminent. He mourns and prays to God, who hears and sees him, and in hearing and seeing him, promises to heal him and extend his life by 15 years. Hezekiah's psalm over the experience is given, as well as the sign given to confirm what God had promised. Um, and overall, it's really, in a way, it's, I love that hymn. Uh, I don't know if anyone else appreciated it, but I do. Um, also, before we get into the application points, the, the truth is, is that chapters 38 and 39 go together like hand and glove. Um, I decided to split them up only because one long sermon or two shorter ones, everyone always prefers the two short. <laughs> and David's like, yes. Uh, I saw that little closing of the eyes there. Uh, so today's sermon will, be, will definitely be a little bit shorter than normal, um, but it's just because, again, we're going to split up the two, the two chapters. Um, all right, so what can we get from this story, though? The story about Hezekiah's illness is something which can cause anyone to consider. Uh, the truth is, it is a story about mortality, the reality of illness, the reality of death itself. We all have to appreciate this moment in Hezekiah's life because in all likelihood, we will all experience death, the separation of body and soul, sometime in the future, whether near or far. Not only this, but when we consider that it was an illness which almost took Hezekiah's life, we were reminded even more how frail this existence is. Again, it just takes a small thing to end this existence for us. Each of us has experienced death when it comes to family members or friends. None of us can say that death has not influenced us. Death itself is effectual because it causes a communication to cease, the communication we have with loved ones in this life. Whether they be friends or family, the relationship stops being what it once was once death occurs. Those of us who are left to mourn the loss of our loved ones, and rightly we should, death itself is a judgment, but it is a judgment which we deserve because of our transgressions and sins. No one, not even a good Hezekiah, can say that they are unworthy of the judgment of death. The truth is, we all are. Yet that doesn't stop the ache that comes with it. Even if we should acknowledge our sinful states and our inability to attain eternal life apart from God's grace and mercy, it doesn't change the fact that when we stare death in the eyes, it can cause us to turn our heads toward the wall to weep, to mourn, to lament, and to pray. The reaction of Hezekiah over the reality of his impending death is one which we would all have, all things considered, because death is an enemy. Yet an enemy which, as Hezekiah rightly points out, is under God's sovereign control. It is not a blind power, but God's purpose for a fallen world. As it is, we could literally talk about death and the death aspect that we find until we were dead. Instead of this, though, I think it's just as important to consider Hezekiah's prayer. 
and more importantly, God's response to the prayer. Hezekiah in his mourning prays to God that he would remember Hezekiah. What does God do? Well, he sees and hears. This is the important thing for us to remember today and for our entire lives. God sees and he hears. What does this mean? It means that God is the living God. In contrast to the pagans who believed that their idols were alive with the spirit of the gods they worshipped, the God of Hezekiah, of Isaiah, of David, of Abraham is a God who is alive. He is capable of doing what those so-called other gods are incapable of doing. He is able to see and to hear us. As it is, God sees us in our pains. When we are experiencing doubts and struggles, when the body is weak and the soul is close to the point of breaking, when the depression sets in, when the physical illness takes the toll, God is able to see us in our weakness. Other deities are incapable of this because they are made of stone. Our God, however, is alive. Likewise, when In our times of struggle, our times of darkness, we pray and cry out to the Lord. He is capable of hearing us. Indeed, he is capable of hearing us in our times of distress, in our times of joy. In all instances, God hears each of us as we pray. It is an amazing thing to consider that the God of the universe is able to see and hear us, to know truly uh, about us and our strengths and our weaknesses. Yet this is exactly what the God of the universe does. When Hezekiah mourns, God does hear him and see him. Why he's mourning. When Hezekiah rejoices because God's blessing, God hears the rejoicing and he sees the joy filling Hezekiah's body and soul. Our God is alive. And because of that, we can be sure of another thing, which is that death, the very thing facing Hezekiah, will not overcome that which God himself is. Sometimes we can believe all the darkness of death is greater than the strength than God. Yet the truth is, God is not dead. He is not in death. He is in life. And anyone who belongs to God will experience life, not just in passing, but eternal life. On this side of the cross, it is easier for us to understand death because we have seen and heard the source of our eternal life. We recognize the sorrow of death and we weep with those who lose loved ones to death, but we can even more but we can even mourn the reality of our own deaths. Yet what we also do not go to the grave without hope. For we know that Christ Jesus was raised from death to life, and that the life he now has, he has forever. Our God is the living God. The promise given to those who belong to Christ is that we too will have such life if we believe. Hezekiah was given a sign concerning God's promise, and that is that the shadow would reverse course. We have been given a sign of God's greater promise of eternal life because Christ lives even now. Which sign is the greater? I would argue the resurrection of Jesus is the greatest of signs, for it tells us the promises of old have been fulfilled, and any promise he has made will be fulfilled. Thus the promise of eternal life, which we can attain by grace through faith in Christ alone, cannot be undone because it has been promised by the living God, who knows no ends, giving us a love that knows no bounds. This is the God who hears and sees us. The God who heard us in our sins and saw us in our weakness 
and yet sent his son that we may find redemption from our sins and give us hopes to, in the end, stare down death by knowing the mighty triumph of life through Jesus Christ. Just as Hezekiah was able to say, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. So it is with each of us by the grace through faith in Christ. The experience we can see with Hezekiah is then one we can learn from. It was Hezekiah's story true, but in the fulfillment to Hezekiah, God was showing us a glimpse of what he would eventually do for all of us. Like Hezekiah then, we recognize death for what it is, but like Hezekiah, we can face death because we know that God is capable of doing, indeed, he is capable of undoing death itself. As such, my hope for each of us is that this story would draw us closer to God, that we would remember that our God hears us, he sees us, he knows us, and does great things in this world. Why all of this? Because he is the living God. I told you it was going to be a short one. David didn't even have a chance to fall asleep. (laughs) Just kidding, David. But in all this, it reminds us of the gospel. And I think this story really does, it's very prevalent in my mind. It's such a beautiful story when it comes to the gospel. And that the gospel, it starts with our origins. That all humans were created in the image of God. And that God is the first cause of all these things. And he created us to bear his image. And it's a wonderful thing to be made in the image of God. It means that every human being has dignity and sanctity and worth to life. This is the core message of Christianity. That we were made for this great grand purpose of being image bearers. And it's a greater understanding of humanity than any other. But then we also come with the problem of sin. Because we look around us and we see how much darkness there is in the world and we wonder how on earth could there be so much darkness if God is truly so great and so good. And then we remember being made in his image means that we were responsible. But we failed in our responsibility and so we sin. And that sin leads to judgment. And that judgment is death. Hezekiah, in his moment of death, when he's staring it down with this illness, and he recognizes that he is deserving of it in the end, he still pleads with God that God would be merciful, that God would be gracious to him. And what happens? God is. God forgives his sins, adds life to his ears. It is the same thing with Jesus. That through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in time, space, history, and flesh, our sins are forgiven, and we too are granted eternal life. The shadow, it only went back for a sign that Hezekiah would realize that he would have an extra time with his life. We have been given a sign that we will have eternal life, where the darkness will never be able to grasp us again. And it's not by our doing, it's not by the doing of me or you and our ability to be strong, But it's because we are so weak and God is so strong that we attain this eternal life through grace. And God is a wonderful God. He has done this. And I think we can see the correlation in Hezekiah's own experience with our own experience with God. That death will not be able to conquer us because we belong to the living God. And where does that lead? Well, for those who choose not to accept this story and who choose not to accept the truth of Jesus Christ, they perish into death forever. 
But those who remain faithful to God and who recognize God's faithfulness to them, they will have eternal life and the glory of God forever and ever. And we have only begun to experience a glimpse of this, of what it all means. But I'm looking forward to seeing where it leads. So as we continue forward and as we continue with Hezekiah's own stories and seeing how he was very faithful um, and then also where he failed, I hope that we would continue to see the gospel here in Hezekiah, in Isaiah's life. Because the gospel is what's grounding all of us, without which none of this matters. But with it, all of our lives are changed forever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for... Isaiah, we thank you so much that he related this story again to us about Hezekiah's life, this good king of Judah. And we ask, Lord, that as we learn from Hezekiah's life and the experiences that he has with you, we ask that you would give us similar experiences to know that you truly do exist and that you are truly the God of all. Because you are, you are the God of all. You are the living God. And there is no one like you. So, Lord, we ask that you would continue to bless us and keep us according to your word. We ask that you would continue to remind us of the truth of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, and that we would cling only to you and your truth. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.